good morning, everybody. Um, like GB said, I'm actually, I'm a local. I'm not that far. It wasn't, it wasn't a far drive this morning to come to you. And uh, I grew up here in Vancouver in the Fraser Valley. Actually, it's, it's, it's a beautiful irony. I grew up in the Fraser Valley, but my family background, my dad, my grandpa, actually lived in Richmond. My dad grew up in Richmond, went to high school. My grandpa was a firefighter at the Vancouver airport. And so when I got into counseling, I actually didn't start in Richmond, but an opportunity came up to have an office in Richmond. And I just felt like, whoa, this is, this is an opportunity for me to come back and actually change a little bit of how our family history and, and for my family to sow something and to sow the love of God into the community of Richmond. And so we love Vancouver. Uh, I uh, have a wife and kids. I have a family, and uh, they weren't be able to. They weren't able to be here this morning with us. I, I brought some photos, though. Maybe we'll show the photo of my kids. There they are. I've got Taya and Tristan, and Taya is seven years old. She's turning eight soon, and uh, she's a ballerina. And uh, my little guy just turned five in December. His birthday is twelve twelve two thousand twelve. And uh, I got the privilege of delivering him on our bathroom floor. It was not planned. We were going to the hospital and, and, uh, and so got the honor of being the first one to hold him and deliver him. And, and, uh, and so he's, he's my little guy. And uh, they're both my treasures. And, and so she's a ballerina, but he, he just touches everything. <laughs> he likes his tools. He loves his tools. Um, and my wife... Daniel, I'll get you. There she is. There's my my wife, Nicole. That's my wife, Nicole. We've been married. It'll be 13 years coming up here in July. And uh, we met in church. And um, actually, our story, even I just feel so blessed to have her. And it's actually part of the testimony of my life. And we're going to talk a bit about that this morning because the subject, when J- JB and I had lunch a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, Mark, I'd like you to come and talk a little bit about how do you actually experience, how do you, how do you relate and know God intimately and invite him into your journey that involves emotional pain, mental health issues, the emotional stuff of life. And that is a big part of my testimony and journey is working through unhealthy relationships and the emotional pain that came with my upbringing and my background and being able to turn that around and learn how to do healthy and I would have never met my wife or had that relationship had I not encountered God. And so it's a big part. And so my wife reminds me, she uses that verse in Proverbs, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. Amen. Wives, <laughs> girlfriends. <laughs> Don't you ever, you find these funny verses like that in the Bible. Don't you ever wonder, do you ever ask God, like, God, why are these these weird verses? Like, why not she who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, right, JB? Yeah. I'm a good catch. JB's a good catch. Like, come on now, guys. Anyways, <laughs> it's my one joke. So, JB mentioned to you that I, uh, for the past 10 years, I've been, had the privilege of being in counseling and and meeting with people and you know, oftentimes counseling has quite a stigma around it. Mental health has had a stigma around it. And we've had different movements over the past decade have really tried to make a move around that. You know, you hear of Bell Let's Talk Day. And I've had the privilege over the past 
10 years, I've, I've met with, I've had over five, almost over 500 clients. I've had over 5,000 hours over the past decade of meeting with people in the midst of their challenges and their issues. And some of it is spiritual, but a lot of it is relational and emotional, depression, anxiety, personality struggles, relationship, marriage struggles, dating struggles. And, and a big part of my journey around that has been over the past 10 years. But before that, before I had the privilege of being in that aspect, and I really believe it's a healing ministry, is I actually got to, to be part of a, a ministry, an evangelistic ministry, early on in my Christian life. And uh, you see a photo there. Got to travel around the world with, it was actually the largest evangelistic ministry in Western Canada at the time. Uh, we had an orphanage in Uganda, Jesus Village, and, uh, and served the orphans, did crusades and humanitarian feedings in India and Africa. And uh, when we did crusades, 80,000 people would show up, 100,000 in India, and just really preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and loved on people and, and did conferences around the world in, in North America. And so I got to travel with that evangelist and um, got the privilege of praying with people, different people from all walks of life around the world, and got to see God do amazing things, healing people not only physically but emotionally, and seeing people be touched by the love of a loving father that many people had not experienced in their life. And, and so that's a bit of my background. And I want to talk from that background this morning a bit about this topic of, I, I, I love the title of the sermon series, The God and Me Experience. And I don't think it's a title of a series. I actually think it's a declaration that God wants us to live out over our lives. And, and so when JB came and said, hey, can, we, can you talk about how do you relate to God? How do you experience? How do you get close to God in the midst of pain and trauma and unhealthy relationships, divorce? I thought, wow, this is so relevant of a topic. Because what we know is today, 20% of Canadians, 20%, 2 in 10, at some point in their life will struggle with a mental health issue, will struggle with depression or anxiety or a mood issue. Or and today we know that 40%, 4 in 10, will go through a divorce, a first marriage divorce. 4 in 10. So that's not criticism. That's just the statistics of what is happening out there, that 4 in 10. I said in the first service, we also know there was actually a newspaper article the Metro Vancouver published on the front page back in November. I was shocked. They did a study in Vancouver recently last year that showed 40% of young people, 18 to 25, so most of you, 18 to 25 reported that they experienced loneliness on a daily basis. 40% in Vancouver. That's 40% that's of students at UBC walk around. There's 40,000 students there, by the way. Four in ten walk around reporting that they feel disconnected and lonely on a daily basis. Those numbers are huge. And so this is so vital what we're talking about this morning of how do we actually connect with God? How does his relationship, because the truth is his relationship is the ultimate answer. It's the best answer. 
Because like JB said, we've got lots of answers. The world has lots of answers right now for these emotional and mental struggles you're going through. And you're seeing it manifest in Vancouver. We've got something called an opioid crisis right now where people are dying. And what that's actually showing us is that many people, not just homeless people, not just lower class people, but that middle class people are actually turning to other solutions other than God to deal with their pain to deal with addictions, to deal with emotional struggles. And, and the government is calling it a crisis right now because so many people are turning to these drugs with fentanyl in them. And what it shows us is, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to deal with what's going on us emotionally and mentally. And so how, what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we connect with God? How do we experience more of God? What are some things? I'm going to give you some practical steps. And they're very relational steps because the kingdom is relationship. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the kingdom of God is not outward things. It's not all about my outward behavior and what I do. The kingdom of God... Paul said in Romans, is about the heart. It's about inward things. The kingdom of God is peace and joy and righteousness. See, you can tell when you're in the midst of the kingdom of God because the fruit of the kingdom is peace and joy and righteousness. See, I knew the kingdom. I know God's here because I can feel his peace and his presence in this midst. And so what we're talking about, this, this topic, emotional and mental health issues, God care so much about because every kingdom issue is a heart issue. All the kingdom issues around our faith are actually heart issues. And so this is really relevant because one of the things that I've noticed counseling and being with people in the midst of the challenges and the struggles and their pain is actually number one when people come in over and over. I've had hundreds of people tell me over the past decade that number one, when they're depressed, struggling with depression, or struggling with anxiety, or struggling with fears of worry, or struggling with an abusive relationship, or struggling with experiencing an unhealthy, the effects of an unhealthy family upbringing, they often feel alone with that. They often feel like they can't talk with it about, to God about it. They often feel like they can't turn to others. I don't want to talk about my suicidal thoughts. People are not going to be able to handle it. I don't want to talk about feeling hopeless. My friends won't know what to do with it. And the majority of people with those struggles often are alone. And number two, I've noticed when we're alone, we often, those feelings are so big that we often try ways to numb them or avoid them, or not feel them, right? That's the whole essence of this opioid crisis, the whole essence of what's going on down in the east side of Vancouver is not a resource issue. It's not we need more money or more organizations or better job skills training. It's a heart issue. It is how and, and using, using those other substances, using world's ways of dealing with it is often a way that we cope or we numb and avoid working through what's going on. And I want to say to you, number one, God never designed you to be that way. God designed us as emotional beings. God 
designed, I like to tell everybody, God created every emotion other than shame. God felt love. God felt excited. God felt happy. Just, just read the Old Testament. You see it scattered throughout the Old Testament of how he related to Israel. He got jealous when Israel turned and worshipped other gods. He got angry when they, they had challenges and they turned away from the promises that he had spoken over them. He felt hurt. He felt sad. God wants us to be able to have our feelings and move through them. So God created every emotion other than shame. Shame happened in the garden with Adam and Eve when they fell. When they listened to the devil, when they listened to the lies, when they, when they listened to a lesser truth that God wanted them to live out, that's when shame came in. And shame is horrible. A lot of, a lot of our emotional or our relational struggles, often many of us feel shame about. And shame actually, shame is a different emotion. Shame speaks to, it's different than guilt. Guilt is often about our behavior, where shame is often about the core of who we are. It's about self. Shame tells us we're bad at the core of who we are when we feel it, right? That's why Adam and Eve hid. They hid and they covered themselves because shame told them and entered in and told them you did something wrong and God's not going to accept you. God's not going to accept the mistake. God's not going to accept where you're at with having sin in your life. And so that shame gets us to hide. It leads us, moves us to act. It moves us to hide. It moves us to shrink. It moves us to pull away. And so how do we actually work through these things that hold us back from who God called us to be and how God called us to do relationships is what we're going to talk about. And I want to say to you this morning that it starts, the first place we need to start as we talk about how do we experience God through pain, depression, and healthy relationships is we need to understand, number one, that all kingdom issues are heart issues and soul issues, but it starts with how we relate to him. How, the foundation of our life. Is he the cornerstone? Is he the foundation of our life? You know, JB talked about there's different ways we can relate to God philosophically, intellectually. But do we know him as a loving father? See, Jesus in the New Testament, Paul talked about Jesus. We need to have Jesus as a cornerstone of our life. And he used that great metaphor of cornerstone. What was he talking about? See, in the old days, they don't build buildings like we do now. See, we use a concrete slab, and it is the foundation of the building. And if that concrete slab is not poured right, the building will actually not function in the purpose that it's called to function. Eventually, the walls will topple. Things will not work properly. It'll be off course if it's not laid properly. See, and that's what Jesus, Paul was referring to when he said, we need to have Jesus as a cornerstone of our life. In the old days, they would lay a big stone at the, at the point in which they were building the building on. And if that cornerstone was not set just right, if it wasn't the perfect foundation, they wouldn't get very far in building that wall before it toppled. And so, it is so essential, before we even talk about how do we engage God emotionally, it starts with, is he the foundation of our life? How do we know him as a father? Because how we understand his character and his nature will determine, how we behold him will determine how we experience him. And let me say this, there are all kinds of fathers out there. None of us came from perfect families, but... Many of us have experienced different kinds of fathers. 
And so I want to talk with you. I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you, but I want to talk with you a little bit about who he is. And I want to start by saying the foundation of who we need him to be, his nature and his character is a loving father who relentlessly and recklessly pursues us with his love. There's many metaphors about and analogies about how we live out this Christian life in the New Testament. Go ahead, throw up the slide, 2 Corinthians 6.18. But the greatest analogy, the greatest picture of how we can live out this Christian life, our faith, is in a father, son, and daughter relationship. He wants us to know him intimately as a loving father who recklessly and relentlessly pursues us with unconditional love. Second Corinthians says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Son of the Lord. See, that type of relationship, you being known to him as a son and a daughter, he wants to be a father. And the Bible is scattered with scriptures that speak about how he wants to relate to you as a father. Let me throw some at you. Hebrews 13.5, he talks about, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the essence of who God wants to be in your life is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians 3.20, I will do exceedingly abundantly for you above what you can ask or think. Philippians, I will meet all your needs according to my riches in glory. John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you shall desire, and this will be given to you. You you will live out the desires of your heart when you abide in this father, son, and daughter relationship with you. See, God wants to relate to you. It is essential that we know him as this loving father who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm there for you. And the essence of the relationship that he wants you to experience is your problems are my problems. Your victories are my victories. Your breakthroughs are my breakthroughs. I will only give you good gifts. You have accesses to the resources in heaven because that's who I am as a father. See, that's what he said to Moses when Moses was standing on the mountain in Exodus 33. And he said, God, show me your glory. And when he meant glory, he said, show me your presence. And God's response to him was, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Because that's who he is in the foundation of his nature, is a good God who only gives good gifts. And when we experience him in that way, it changes everything. See, Moses on that mountain, if you get into it in Exodus 33, when Moses went up the mountain to speak with him face to face in this intimate way, and it's a perfect picture of how God wants to relate to you. See, he's no respecter of person. If he does it for Moses, he'll do it for you. If he does it for Paul, he'll do it for you. And when Moses spoke to him, he came off the mountain, and the rest of them are like, Moses' face, his countenance and his mood has changed. He actually had to veil his face. He was glowing. His countenance was so changed. And that was part of my testimony. See, when I came, when I came to God at 18 years old, I, my, the, the revelation that actually brought me to God was I was at a point in life where a serious relationship had just ended. And I was hurting. 
And I had this revelation. It was kind of almost like God lifted up the scales of my eyes. No one talked to me about going to church. No one brought me to church at that point. I just came to this revelation of like all my relationships were broken. And on the outside, on the exterior, everything was going well. I was captain of the basketball team in high school, captain of the track team, captain of the soccer team. I got A's and B's. I got into, I was going to university. I was popular. I had lots of friends. I had my own vehicle. I was financially doing good, coming from a middle-class family. On the outside, everything looked perfect and great, but inside, I was hurting and I had grown up with parents where there was mental health issues and struggles. And I had this revelation of all my relationships. And all I could do in that moment, all I could think about was going. It just came to me. I don't know where, but just go to this little church that my grandma had taken me and my brother to at four or five years old. It was a little United Church. I'd never been there in the past decade. Not, my, my grandparents weren't going to church. My grandparents were actually anti-God. Because my grandpa had an understanding of the nature and character of God that was different than that of a loving father. See, many people won't even step into a church building today or won't even consider God because their perception is that he is not this loving father who wants you to live out the best, holiest, most abundant life for you. They think he's angry and demanding and that if I come live under God, I'm going to have to give up so many. I'm not, I can't be fun. I can't be playful. Right? How many people, when we talk to God, they're like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. See, the commandments in here don't confine God. They only reveal him. And they reveal that he wants what's best for us in life. And so when I came to God at 18 and I, I got touched by his presence and his experience, I didn't have any theology I didn't, I didn't know people who believed in dispensationalism versus Calvinism versus baptism versus Pentecost. I didn't have any theology about salvation. All I had was his experience, and it, his presence had changed me so much that how I got people saved in the beginning, I didn't even talk. I didn't have a salvation five-point, like, here's why you need to come. What it was is they encountered my mood. They encountered my presence where they're like, there's something different about you. You're not angry anymore. There's something different. That's how I got the first three people in my life saved was like, there's something different about you. They had recognized that I had been with the king. And so it is essential that we ask, how do we experience him? Do we experience him as this loving father who wants to meet with us intimately? See, he lays this loving father, this dynamic that he wants to have, that he calls you sons and daughters, and he says our relationship is bigger than any challenge or obstacle or limitation facing you in life. Our relationship is bigger. See, it sets the dynamic for how we should do relationships. See, our relationships amongst ourselves should be reciprocal because that's how he wants it. It should be intimate where we can talk and have emotional intimacy first. Those of us who are dating, God lays this foundation, emotional intimacy before physical intimacy. We should expect that people would want to get to know us and be friends and know our inner world, our fears, our dreams, our desires, because that's how God wants to relate to us. He wants you to live out your desires. So this is essential that we, that we understand his nature and character as a loving father. Number two, we need to understand that God desires us and wants us to walk in freedom. 
John 3, 3 John 2 says it this way. Where's the verse? There it is. 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. See, John had an understanding that God's heart for us as believers is that you prosper. God is not looking down from heaven going, you are struggling with that anxiety and I'm just going to leave you. I don't care about that. No, 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 no. No, no, Psalm 139 says he is thinking about you constantly. Go back to that, Daniel. Psalm 139. I missed this verse. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I love the Passion Translation. Show me the Passion. There it is. Every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. See, that's how God wants to relate to you. He's constantly thinking about you. He's constantly there. His thoughts, he's thinking more about you than you are thinking about your life and yourself. You are on his mind constantly. Well, oftentimes that's a lot different than some of us have re- experience close relationships and so we need a template change we need a foundation change we actually need to build our foundation on this understanding that he is a loving father above all else who sent his only son to pay for our sin to pay for our transgressions to pay for our weaknesses so that he can be in relationship with us so that we can live out the purpose for our lives So he desires freedom. He's passionate. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And then he said in John, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I came to preach the good news. I came to preach the truth about who you are and who God sees you as you are. And that truth will allow you to walk in freedom. See, our culture, there's lots of different ideas today about what is freedom. In our culture, our North American culture tells us that actually freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and do whatever you please and think whatever you want, whenever you want, right? We're so quick just to throw up our opinion about everything on Facebook. And actually, Jesus said true freedom is actually being able to live and walk out the truth of God's over our life. God's truth over our life. That's true freedom when we have the ability to choose God's truth and hold on to it and internalize it. So it's so important that we know that. The Passion Translation of John 8 says this. It says, for if we embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into our lives. See, the truth of how God sees us. See, there's more freedom under his rule, under his lordship, than there is in doing as I please. As there is in turning towards other relationships to meet those foundational needs in my life. So the greatest foundation we can ever give ourselves is we to anchor our minds and our will and our soul, and our affections in the goodness of who he is. See, when he's the cornerstone of our life and not an add-on, then we can found our, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions in who he is, and he can be in the midst of that with us. Okay, 
So number one, his nature and his character is a, is a loving father, and he desires for us to walk in freedom. We need to know that, that he actually desires us to walk through depression. He desires us to walk through anxiety. He desires us to move through this, and he desires breakthrough in our lives where we don't have these things holding us down. Because I notice so many people, right, the essence actually of a mental health issue is where it impacts our functioning. It actually impacts how we function in our relationships, our careers, academics. I get so many students. I, I, I do a little bit of counseling at the university where I work with students, and they come in, and when those issues are really strong, they can't go to class. They can't function. They, don't, they isolate themselves from friends. And God desires us to be free and walk in freedom from that. So how do we, how do, we do that? Number, number one is actually accepting and acknowledging our pain and our emotions and our struggles to him. It's actually being able to have our feelings and go there and actually acknowledge them to him, to acknowledge I'm feeling hopeless, to acknowledge I'm feeling down. That is okay. See, God accepts us where we're at. He wants us to acknowledge. And it sounds so simple to just say, to accept and acknowledge. It's such an easy step. It sounds so simple. But what I've found is that it's actually the hardest thing to do, to actually turn towards God and accept and acknowledge, I've got something going on in my life that I can't handle myself. So number one, accepting and acknowledging you know, that's a big part of my testimony is I experienced true freedom in my life. I would have never met my wife or been able to enjoy the experience of our marriage without the freedom that I experienced by accepting and acknowledging. See, part of my background is I, I said to you, I grew up with broken relationships. I had parents who struggle. But one of the struggles in our family was actually alcohol addiction. My father struggled with alcohol. You know, he worked. You would never know it. He got up 9 to 5, and he worked. And so you'd never know if you met him during the workday. But when he came home, he drank to numb. And my grandfather, my whole family on both sides struggled with alcoholism. And listen, I want to preface I'm not saying drinking wine or alcohol is bad. I'm not saying that. But for my family, it was a struggle. It was a crux. It was a way of dealing with the hard issues and so I actually don't remember one family gathering growing up where alcohol didn't pr play a predominant factor in those family gatherings. It shaped our life. It was a struggle. I started drinking when I was 14 years old. And like hard alcohol, like hard stuff, weekends, and it, and it escalated. And I remember right before I gave my life to Jesus, I tried to quit on my own accord. My relationships were falling apart. I had lots of friends. Don't hear me wrong. I wasn't, I, like, I had friends who wanted to hang out, but they, they wanted to party. We were the popular kids. They wanted to party. They wanted to do drugs. And, and I couldn't break the addiction. I, I tried everything. I tried negative reinforcement. I tried drinking the worst stuff you could drink. I, I tried it all, and I couldn't do it. And you know what? I, shortly after, I gave my life to Christ. And the first, within the first six months, I remember being in a worship service. We were in a, in a service a little bit bigger than this. There was about, yeah, about 100 young adults, youth. We were in worship service. No one touched me. No one laid hands on me. But I remember we were singing that song, Freedom Reigns in This Place. And I acknowledged to God, God, 
I can't break this. I can't get rid of it. I can't get free of it. And I remember in worship services, I just started. I knew I'd read enough of Scripture that God healed. And, and I started to acknowledge and accept where I was at, and then that was okay. And I remember that worship service. We were singing Freedom Reigns. And this tingling went through the top of my fingers all the way down my body and up through the top of my toes. And the addiction was gone, completely gone. No cravings, no withdrawal symptoms. He completely healed me. Because God does miracles. He, when I accepted and turned to him, and that is so hard for many of us, I want to acknowledge this is so hard because many of us have actually, and I, and I encounter this with clients over and over, when we've been through terrible experiences, when we've been through abusive experiences, a big part of it is actually we keep those things secret. And God wants to meet us in the way. We're going to go, I'm going to go Proverbs 3. Go to your Bibles, Proverbs 3. We're going to talk about this. But I want to say to you, there's a great example of this in the New Testament in Paul's life. Paul is a great example of this. Because before Paul was the Apostle Paul, Paul was struggling with some things. And in Acts, it talks about how Paul had the God encounter, and he came to understand the true purpose on his life. But I want to stop. If we actually go to that experience, and we stop in that moment, and we actually go, who was Paul in that moment before God touched him, and God started speaking to him? Well, Paul was living a life where he was highly educated. He had a Jewish background in that culture, so he was highly educated. He was, and, and very prideful about his education. Paul thought he was elite. He was very prideful. He's full of pride. Number two, he was, he was murdering and persecuting Christians. So he's full of hate. He's full of anger towards Christians, like not good anger. So think about it. In that moment, who Paul was as a person emotionally and mentally was he was full of hate. He was full of anger. He was full of pride. And in that moment on that road, God met him and said, you're acceptable. I'll take you as you are. God did not say to him, go away and fix yourself. God did not say, hide that and don't talk about that. God met him and took him and accepted. See, that's the God we're talking about this morning. So how do we let God experience us as we, as we go through pain and challenges and emotional torment and pain in our life? Number one, we... we Take that big leap of faith and accept and acknowledge what we're feeling and where we're at to him. And that, I wanna, I, that is beautifully shown in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, chat, verse 5 through 7. I want to go there with you real quick. I know we're going over. I'm going to take 10 more minutes and just unpack a few points here. So Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 7 says, trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will make every decision. Oh, we're reading the Protestant translation. Go back to New King James. I want to start with New King James. There it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is, what is, what is the proverb getting at? That's, that's a picture of true surrender. That's a picture of 100% surrendering as a son and a daughter to a father. See, that's often sons and daughters. That's how God wants to relate to us as a father who we trust in and we know will be there 
who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Where's, where, I want to I give a picture of that portrait here. Where's, the, where's my drummer or my guitar player? Where is he? He was here earlier the first service. Let me borrow one of you. Can I borrow one of you real quick? Can I borrow you? Yeah, you, right there. Come on up. Yeah. Let me borrow you. What's your name? Alvin. Alvin. Everybody say, hi, Alvin. Alvin's going to be God. So face me. Stand towards me. Alvin's God. And this is the picture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on in all your ways, and he shall direct your path. See, this is the relationship that God is talking about in Proverbs, where I stand behind him, and he never lets go of this. Even if I don't feel it at times, he's there. And as I move forward, he moves forward. As I move forward, he doesn't go. As I go this way, he doesn't go. If things happen in life where I start going down this wavy, bumpy road, this crooked path, he doesn't go. He's there. See, that's the picture. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Actually, the true picture is like this, where he's constantly like this. That's what true intimacy is. Great. Thanks. Give it up for Alvin. Everybody say, thank you, Alvin. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Am I surrendering? And lean on, not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. See, God wants us to lean on his perspective about our lives and our futures and where we're going. He does not want you to be a robot. That's not what this verse is saying. He's not saying don't have a will because he gave you a will. He's saying don't think because he gave you a mind to think. But he's saying lean into me acknowledge me in all your ways. How do we do that? What is God talking about? How do we acknowledge him? Now show me the Passion Translation. I think it gives a really good example. It says, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision. Become intimate with him. See, that word acknowledge, the Hebrew word there is not, it's so deep, it's, it's intimate. See, when we acknowledge him, it's not, it's not like when we come to church and say, hey, Elvin, high five, and we high five, and, that, and that's great. But God is saying, I want you to go deeper with me than that. I want true intimacy where nothing is hidden and nothing is between. Acknowledge me in the different areas of your lives. And we have so many areas. We have our, our friendships. That's an area of life. We have our marriage. We have the business aspects of our life. We have our, our sports we have our hobbies. See, all of it is in the kingdom. God wants, God wants to be a part of all of it. And he says, acknowledge me in all your ways. Acknowledge me with the emotions you're struggling with. Acknowledge me with those past painful experiences. And look at the promise that comes out of it. He will lead you wherever you go. See, when we acknowledge him, and accept where we're at, that empowers the king of the kingdom to actually step in and bring his loving, healing power. Why is this so, why is this so important? That he's the foundation and that we acknowledge him in all our ways is because our, the fruit of our emotional lives, the offspring of our emotions and our mental life is a product. It's an offspring of who we're doing relationship with. 
See, those who you're doing close relationship with, our mental and our emotional life will be produced out of those who's speaking into our life and those who are doing close relationship with. So this leads to my second point. The second thing that we can do to experience more of God as we walk through some of these challenges is to actually get a sense of the promises and the words that God is speaking over my life. See, this Bible, I love that JB said, where's your Bible? Because this thing is full of the promises that he is speaking over you. See, when we, when we hold on to the promises that he, and the words that he's spoken over our life, it gives us security and comfort to move through the emotional and mental challenges of life. I had a client recently um, who struggled, came in and, was, and their presenting concern was they were struggling with anxiety, like really bad anxiety, like really physical symptoms. They noticed it was impacting. You know, when they had to go do certain events, they were doing some sports and some hobbies, they just noticed themselves the worry and the anxiety would consume them the night before things they were doing. And when we actually started to build a relationship and start to unpack when those anxious thoughts and when those catastrophic negative thoughts about themselves came up, it was actually during the time. And let me slow down. Let me say this about this person. I want you to know this person is amazing. They were a university student very intellectual, very high-functioning, worked really hard, came from an amazing family, very high-achieving family, very high professionals. You know, we kind of have that list in our society of like the dream jobs or the professionals we revere, the doctors, the lawyers. They were kind of, both parents had those type of jobs. This, this person went to a private school, very fun high-functioning family, very well-to-do, and and so was very hard worker, was taking pre-med classes, science classes, and just everything about me screamed inside, this, this person's amazing. They've got so many gifts and talents. We're successful in different areas of life. But when we started, what we actually started to discover is it wasn't about fixing him. What we started to discover, he started to tell me, oh, yeah, I notice anxiety come up when I'm texting with my mom. And we started to unpack, whoa, the words that are being spoken in a close relationship were actually quite negative. Every time this person did something that that person didn't agree with or didn't want them to do, they got criticized, they got judged, they got critiqued, and it created all kinds of anxiety in their life. This person actually started to take in those words and started to tell them things like, I'm not doing it right. I'm going to make the wrong mistake if I choose my own thing. Like, and they started to believe those words. See, who, those words and who is speaking in our life will produce the fruit of our emotions and our thought life. And so it is so relevant that I hold on to what is the words that God is speaking over my life? What is the words? What are the prophetic words I so need to know what my father is saying about me. I so need to know how he sees me. Because then when I anchor myself in that, I will begin to trust him. And when I trust him, I can then give it all to him. And so this is a practice that I've done in my life. Me and my wife, every time we get a prophetic word, we write it down. 
we hold on to it. Every time God speaks to us through his word and scripture, we write it down. I hold on to it. I will sit and I will recite the words of God over my life, my family, my children, and I hold on to them. This is who I am. I'm the head, not the tail. I don't have to work. See, it was so significant for my life because when I looked at my relationships, most of my close relationships were conditional. I grew up where I felt like I had to earn, I had to work to get love and acceptance. And everything changed when I let God's word penetrate my heart. And I started to go, whoa, God actually sees me as a son where I don't got to earn his love. He's rooted and grounded me into his love so I can be the fullness of who he is. That's what Ephesians says. And he loves me recklessly and relentlessly. He, He never gives up. He never lets go. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And that, and I started holding on to what he said about me and how he saw me. And I started writing down those prophetic words, and I review them, and I hold them. Me and my wife, every year we make a point to take time at the end of every year and halfway through year just to get together and go, God, what are you speaking? What are you saying? What are those who love me and who are believers speaking over me in my life? What do they see in me? See, those, that's God. God uses us. Let me throw this verse at you. I want you to take it and hold on to it. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, 1.20 to 22, speaks about how the promises of God are yes and amen over our life. And then if you go to verse 22, it talks about how God knows that we are his. The Passion Translation says it beautifully, that we are his and that he has sealed that relationship with a stamp of love. See, you're his son you're his daughter, and he is speaking over you. And man, when we can begin to trust in what he says, see, then when we come up against a fearful situation, see, I had a situation this past year, actually, that created quite a bit of turmoil and challenge in my life. We were going through um, some different, some out of nowhere, uh, some, some difficulties came up with our office space for our counseling practice, and it blindsided me. And I didn't, I didn't know that specific issue was going to come up. And, and it lasted for most of the year. And every time we tried to resolve it, it you know, it was kind of, there was that, that opportunity where I could have let fear come in and really take over. But because I'd actually taken time with God and he had spoken clearly to me and my wife, this is a year of transition. See, we had a word from God. I knew what his thoughts were about this situation before it even came up. And so when the situation came up, when someone turned their back on me, when I started to face challenges where, I, where I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? I had the word and the promises over his life that this is going to be okay. You're in a season of transition, and I'll be with you in this transition. And listen to me. For me last year, professionally, everything transitioned. It wasn't one thing. It was 10 things. And I wouldn't have made it through emotionally and mentally without having those promises and the words over his life, over my life. Does that make sense? So what are the words over your life? What, what is the Father speaking over you? See, this is what I love about the prophetic. You should be pursuing as a son and a daughter. What is God saying about me? That's not prideful. That's not selfish. That is a son and a daughter going, I'm part of your family. I want to do life with you. You're in this with me. 
You never leave me nor forsake me. So number two, holding on to the promises. And that is a vulnerable thing. That is a vulnerable thing to hold on to the promises and trust in him. It's like Peter stepping out on the boat where Jesus said, trust me. Trust me. You don't see where this is going. But trust me to talk about that sadness. Trust me to talk about that hurt. Trust me to talk about that anxiety. Trust me to talk about what it's like at home behind closed doors that no one is seeing that does not match God's love. Trust me and step out. And I will meet you on that, and I will direct your paths. When you lean on me and acknowledge your ways, where you're at, I will be with you completely in an intimate way and direct your paths and bring you peace and comfort. See, that's the God who I know. That's the Father who I know. See, I had to do that when I first became a believer. I had all these friends, and I knew that God had greater purpose for me to have healthy relationships. I had to take that step, and I had to trust in his word and his promise that I had healthy relationships, and I actually had to do something difficult and let go of friendships that were actually okay by the world standards. I had lots of friends. I was, you know, in sports, and I had to let go of a lesser truth to live in his truth. And it was, I didn't have a lot of friends in church. I had to trust that God would bring friends and healthy relationship. And the fruit, when I trusted in his word and his promises, I met my wife and I met people who started to speak into my life and call things as though, as they are, even though they weren't manifest like that yet. Does that make sense? I want to end on this point. Number three. So we accept and acknowledge our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts. Number two, we work to hold on to the promises and the words of God. That's how we let him in and experience our pain. Number three is in Philippians. I want to quickly go to Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. JB quoted this verse earlier. It says, be, Paul said to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And here's what it produces. Here's the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. This verse is a beautiful picture of how do we walk forward in, in, in healthy emotional and mental well-being. Paul said, trust God, be anxious for nothing. Do not take responsibility for circumstances and situations that are not yours. Turn to God and give them to him. Be anxious for nothing and bring them before God in prayer with thanksgiving. See, here's the key. Thanksgiving is actually a key to having the kingdom of God, the peace manifest in our life. If we want to let God in, We also got to, like, God, what am I thankful for? See, that actually being thankful and practicing thanksgiving actually draws the presence of God into our life. Actually, science, there's studies that show when we actively practice what we're thankful for, I'm thankful for my kids, I'm thankful for my health, and we start 
actively acknowledging to God, here's what I'm thankful for. See, acknowledge him in all your ways, not just the negative ways, but the positive ways. And you start getting thankful and you start reciting those thankful things. It actually draws his presence in and we start to feel it. And it actually guards us against fear. We know that. Because there's many people who've walked around where they haven't experienced family the way that God describes it, the way that God desires it. They haven't, they've been through the challenges and the struggles and just the baggage and junk of life. And that happens. And God is saying, listen, come to me. Don't be anxious for that. I want to give you peace and and stop that foreboding fear. A big part of anxiety and depression is, great, what's going to come next? What's the point? Feeling like the shoe's going to drop again. Something else is going to happen that's horrible. Uh, there's no point. It's going to be, life's going to be hopeless. And God wants us to come before him with a heart of thanksgiving. See, that's the key. How do I practice thanksgiving? And then he said, I will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. I will give you peace that covers your mind, covers your thoughts, covers your heart. And it will guard your heart. Amen. Amen. How's everybody doing? Why don't you guys stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Thank you, God. God, I just thank you for this morning. God, that we can talk about experiencing more of you. Why don't you guys all hold hands? Everybody hold hands. Thank you for every single heart, every person, every family represented here. And God, you know where they're at. You know every detail of their life. You know the challenges. You know the struggles. You know where they're at. God, I just pray in this season for a greater measure of your presence in their life, a greater measure of an awareness of you as a loving father who is there for them who wants to be in the midst of the challenges, who wants to be in the midst of the breakthroughs that they're believing for, who wants to be in the midst of the desires in the heart and the longings because you love them. And so, God, I pray that, that loving presence right now, that that they know that they know that they know, God, that that would just come upon them, that they are valuable, that they are cherished, God, I just pray against any shame that has come upon families and history and any things that have happened that has tried to come in and lie to families and generations. God, I just break that off right now. God, I just pray that your love would come in and invade that and that who you say they are, who you say their families are, who you say they're becoming would just become more real in this season. God, that you would bring people across their paths who would start to speak destiny and promises and purpose into their lives in a greater way. God, that they would begin to dream again and hope again for greater breakthrough in this season. Amen. God, I just thank you, God, that you are healing even in this moment. God, we just pray for healing of hearts. We pray for healing over physical illnesses, sickness. God, I just pray against arthritis. I pray against the flu. God, I pray.
pray against depression. And I thank you for your healing presence in this place. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ into your life before, then this is your moment where you can just ask God for his forgiveness. And the Bible says that when you receive Christ into your life, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so if you've never received Jesus Christ before into your life and you want to receive his forgiveness today, why don't you pray this prayer with me? In fact, those of you who've prayed it before, why don't you pray it in support of those who are praying it for the first time today? You can just pray a simple prayer like this. You can say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Thank you. For showing me how much you love me when you died on the cross to pay for all my sins. I receive you. I invite you into my life to be my Savior, to save me from my sins, and to bring me back to God. Thank you that because of you, I am forgiven. And because of you, I have a relationship with God. And because of you, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?